Welcome to this episode of the 9420 podcast, where we talk about the music that we love and the industry that we tolerate. And welcome to this episode of the 9420 podcast that was Colder by Leah Lawson. Hi, Carl and Greg. How are y'all doing? Hey. Hello, Nicole. And hello, Gregory. Hello, Carl. Hello, Nicole. I like that song. Again, it reminds me of a couple of things. It reminds me of 90s Boston. <laughs> and then I don't know why. And then all those reminds me a bit, a bit of that Phoebe Bridgers type thing that's going on now. Um, I, I I like it. I, I call these tracks that kind of a minimal but big sounds and wet. We used to call them wet. I mean, a lot of reverb going on. Right. I, I, I think it's baroque pop. That's what the, that's what they used to call it. Baroque. I'm pop. just guessing, but it sounds like that was really somebody playing a drum. That wasn't a program drum. I don't think. Yeah, this is almost got that big uh, kind of symphonic, you know, '80s Kate Bush vibe, you know. And then the piano sounded like a slightly out of tune upright, you know, yeah. like you know, which could be a plug-in, but yeah, might have been real droney, but in a pleasant way. I thought yeah, it was I like cool. it. 
Yeah. And I like people who can sing. I was never able to sing words long. Like, you know, yeah. it, would, it would help me write less lyrics if I could sing like, you know, you could sing one word like <laughs> for a whole chorus. That's, that's kind of cool. I can't do yeah, that. Very I, gotta, I have to fill it with words. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway, this will be the, my final thing on this. Retraction. Oh, no, 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 no. Retraction. Did you finish Nashville? No retraction, but I, I finally finished the Nashville series. And uh, it got real stupid. You know, she, she, <laughs> she got like, she was in a cult. And then like, you know, this other girl. And you know what's weird about that show towards the end? It was pretty easy to get a record deal on that show. Anybody, <laughs> right? They just, the guy came to town, played one gig. Somebody saw him. Hey, come into my hey. office. I'll give you a record deal. I go, <laughs> really? When does that happen? So man? the realistic <laughs> aspect died with the season. Yeah, it, it died oh, after season yeah. one. I'm after sorry. The but season, what I did right? like, what I did like is, um, and I sent you a video. I finally saw Kate. In, in one country. Oh, yeah, I know, but, man. You, you sent the little. And uh, yeah, she was up front in one of the episodes. She yeah, was screaming like, like a fan at this guy, right? <laughs> Her but, thing was that she would always go, you know, she would approach each episode as like an extra. But then, you know, these these people directing the episodes would pull her out of the crowd. Well, she like, looked good. Are but... you? Yeah, she looks good. She, she'd be like, you stay here, you stand here. She had one, she came home one time and said that the guy that she had been talking to was that was directing the episode. He he was like writing a part for her. And I thought, oh, here we go. You know, you never but, know uh, man. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, he might have, you know, approached it, but he ended up not directing another episode. So she never got that part promised. I did like her. how I, I did like the last ending, the way the Deacon character guy, and he's at yeah. the Ryman singing like he's in still in character. Then all of a sudden, everybody comes out. Connie Britton, who died a season and a half ago, she comes out. <laughs> and now it's now it's the cast just, you know. On on the Ryman stage, yeah, that's kind of a neat creative creative twist. Yeah, right? and everybody kind of was there, so I the, kind of, yeah, breaking the wall. I, I kind of like that. So yeah, yeah, I liked it overall. I guess it was something good to watch, but the realism died for me. But so that's my I'll Nashville you, take. It, it really and truly was. I mean, absolutely transformative show as as far as like you know, kind of people's perception of Nashville was concerned. I think a really really important television. Believe it or not. This is something up your alley, Greg. I just read that BMI cut about 10% of their staff. What do you think yeah, that's, that's about? Yeah, that's right. Cut more. Cut more. But, what do you think you know, that's 10 about? 10% of the staff actually, people don't recognize 10% of the staff is like 30 people. Oh, really? It's not that big a deal. Yeah, it's not that big a deal. I thought it would be more. I thought it'd be like a hundred or a couple hundred. No, uh, they did cut some big job roles, senior vice presidents or or some vice presidents anyway. So, you know, I mean, my take on it, my take on it is that performing rights aren't as important as they once were. And when all of a sudden during COVID, millions of dollars were not being collected for the license fees associated with what's called general licensing. Well, like a perfect example, like my streams up on DistroKid and stuff, right? Right. And Spotify. I get paid through DistroKid. CSEC's not even involved. Well, ASCAP, BMI, CSEC, no, you're you're getting the public performance. You're not getting them through CSEC. You're getting it direct, but that's only because CSEC is probably, as with ASCAP and BMI, are probably in flux on their negotiations with those 
with Spotify as licensee. So in reality, so I'm just asking. So if you're like, let's say you're a brand new artist, puts up some stuff, you don't have an affiliation with any of the performing rights organizations, and you get five million streams, do you need them? It's different. I mean, your your royalty income based on your streams is different than what you would receive from the public performance of those works. Public performance money for ASCAP, BMI, and CSAC for radio, for commercial radio, it's a lot of money. It's a ton of money. How many people are making money anymore on radio? New artists. Exactly. You might be making, you know, you might be having millions of streams and make next to nothing. But if you had a top 20 on commercial radio, as the writer, you'd pick up probably 100 grand. 150 grand. Well, that's what I think a lot of grand. that's what I think a lot of artists new artists are doing. Like I don't know I'm I'm just I don't know if I'm talking out of the top of my head here but I don't think Billie Eilish gets a lot of radio airplay. I don't know. Well, I mean, I've heard her. I think she does get a lot of radio airplay, actually. Where? Uh, Who listens to the radio? When, what, I, well, when I'm in the car and I listen to 1075 here in Nashville, she's on her and Dove Cameron and Harry Styles and Little Nash. What you have to recognize is, yeah. what you have to recognize, Carl, is that radio plays it. Whether or not people listen, it doesn't have anything to do with how many, how you know, the royalties they pay. You know, if they're I know, playing they, it, I know, I know how it works. I, I'm come from that. I know how it works. That if radio yeah. plays it, you get paid. Who cares if anybody listens? I get it. Yeah. So, and the, the other aspect of this is that these blanket licenses that radio pays for, they pay millions of dollars per station group. Right. So, you know, it doesn't really, you know, uh, it doesn't really translate one-to-one uh, as a performance, you know, it, just because it's played on a particular radio station. I have Sirius XM in my car. So right. I, I don't... Well, I, Sirius XM is, they're, they're a, a very, very large licensee paying a lot of fees as well. I don't know if anyone who listens to the radio anymore. Like, you know, an FM station. Yeah, I, I, you know, I but listen to it sometimes if I get bored of my Spotify shufflings. Statistics will tell you that radio, commercial radio, has 300 million listeners a week. I don't know that's if I believe nothing, that. It doesn't mean anything. That's not to sneeze at. That means everybody in the country listens to the radio for three seconds once. You know, that's what that can mean. It doesn't mean anything. Well, I mean, they've been selling it for their, the last 20 years. It literally yeah. means when they turn their car on and it defaults to the radio before they get to plug their phone into CarPlay. Like, I think cars don't even I don't think cars don't even have radios anymore. No, they do. They don't. They do. I, I think a lot of people today. <laughs> There are no more radios in cars. <laughs> I'm sorry. I disagree because I listened to it today. There's no AM, FM, cassette deck in, in no, there cars. No, there is no cassette deck, and my car doesn't even have a CD player. So I have an 8-track put in. The secret to radio is that it's local. That's the secret to radio. It's local. So if you want secret to feel to connected to co- your community, you listen to the radio station. No, I was just listening because I was bored of listening to the Harry Styles new music. And then Elton John came on and I realized that Harry Styles is the new Elton John. That's what I learned today. Except, except he's he's a little better looking, I think. I think so. And he's not, I mean, he's just, it was very interesting. I was listening to him turn the radio on and Tiny Dancer came on and I was like, this is Harry Styles. like, Or, or Harry Styles is Elton John, just, you know. Well, I think this is my thought now. Again, I'm just, you know, again, another, like a friend of mine say, I'm weaving a a theory. (laughs) (laughs) 
just, just I like that. I'm a, weaving a theory here. <laughs> just making it as it goes, making it up as it goes. And it's my theory now. I think music is like, it, it's very cyclical. I think like, you know, after disco came punk and after like the, the early fifties came rock. And then, you know, and I think after like, you know, the banal new wave came grunge. There's always like, you know, something to go against what was happening to So I think a lot of these singer songwriters and, and new, like we can tell by a lot of the new artists like you were saying, Nicole, I was hearing a lot of like alternative rocky kind of nineties bands now more so than let's say five years ago, more singer songwriter angsty as opposed to like, you know, the Katy Perry, Lady Gaga stuff. I think we're in a, another transition more like conventional music and less producer based sonic crap. I don't know. What do you think? The way that I look at that too is so growing up, going to parties, like where the DJs were playing songs, the same songs are still being played, at least at my family events that were played back in like the early 90s too. Like they're not playing the new, you know, the latest top 40 or whatnot. They're still playing Paradise by the Dashboard Lights and Last Dance and things that like I grew up listening to. So I think you're on to something because I don't really hear a lot of DJs who are, you know, thumping it to Taylor Swift or anything like that. One of my friends, Steve, growing up, he was like the music nut. He's the guy who always found every obscure. He was like you, Greg, probably. You'd like him. <laughs> found the most obscure new record. Go check this out. But what he would do, he'd go to parties, right? And his job, and he had this little system, he would actually come in with his bag of vinyl. And he'd go into a oh, party yeah. and he'd see he like- DJ, the, right? Because we didn't have DJs. It was just a party. People playing records, you know? <laughs> he would like just meander over to the stereo and he had this little system where he'd go up to it. He wouldn't just change the record. He would like fade it down slowly so people thought it was ending. You know? and, then, and then he would just <laughs> right. put his record on and all of a sudden, you know, we'd be hearing like some like Donna Summers and all of a sudden Pink Floyd came on and we'd say, oh, Steve found the stereo. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, or something. Well, you know, we, we pointed out, you know, several episodes back, and I thought, I hope it was me. I think it was me pointing out that the majority of the streams that are happening in the marketplace are actually on familiar songs. There's very little discovery of new music, and people are consuming music that was made 10, 15, 20 years ago. Yeah. And they're consuming it at record levels, right? Well, because it's it's so easily accessed now. Like you can go and you can listen to the entire Beatles collective over the course of like Correct. a day or two without necessarily having to like wait for the radio station to play it or call and request Correct. your song. Yeah. So it's all on demand now. Well, I see a lot of memes on Instagram and stuff and with these pictures of people saying, it's 2022, so why am I still listening to music from 1968? It's interesting you mentioned Elton John. I have been stuck in this loop of watching entire concert sets off of YouTube where somebody has just basically held their phone up to the concert stage for, you know, 90 minutes. Like a pirated version of that show. And it is all there. And since COVID, I am just absolutely fascinated by how many thousands of people are showing up for these shows. I watched the entire Elton John farewell tour just last week. And I don't know if you get, if you haven't seen it, it was pretty hideously boring for the first 30 minutes. 
It was it was not good. He's kind of like at that Paul McCartney phase where yeah. he really can't well, sing I mean, anymore. What's the songs interesting are about incredible, it is, you know, but what it, exactly what's interesting about it was that the songs end up, you know, kind of pulling you in. And then I then I was hearing familiar songs and they did a pretty genius job because it's a farewell tour. They did a genius job of how they programmed the set. You know, they were doing some kind of obscure stuff, you know, Skyline Pigeon and stuff like that, which, you know, he hadn't done for years, but cool idea that, you know, that, that they're playing those things. But I saw the Lady Gaga set, um, just, you know, kind of boring. What, with him? Uh, she sang with him? No, no, no. Uh, I saw her entire tour that's out there right now. This People are filming these shows and, you know, it's like, they're up on YouTube. How are they in their not entirety. getting censored or getting like the content ID, like making it? Well, take it I down? think that I, I, well, you know, the major labels have done content ID deals with YouTube. So anyway, <laughs> so we we do have an artist that we are featuring tonight, Leah Lawson. Do we want to hear another single from her? Do sure. we? Yeah, we do. It's called Cheaper Kind. All right. So how, how do we do that? Well, we're going to listen to her management company, Lady Savage Management, first, and then we'll hear Cheaper Kind on the back end of that. This episode features an artist from Lady Savage Management. Lady Savage Management is a Nashville-based PR, branding, and management company owned by Natalie Bailey. With over a decade of combined professional experience in the music and public relations industry, she helps her clients by gaining them exposure on a national scale and laying the groundwork for them to position their brand for a legacy of success. For more information, visit ladysavagemanagement.com. Again, that is ladysavagemanagement.com. Live on better promises 
You know, I saw her video, she has some videos on YouTube, Leah. She plays the guitar, that's her playing the guitar, and she plays uh, like a white Telecaster, I think, you know, so it's it's cool that it's, it's not an acoustic Is guitar. there a live version of that song on YouTube? Because I, I bet that song kills live if she plays that live. I bet we can find it. That's a cool song. That kind of reminded me, it had a little Fleetwood Mac vibe. We did talk to her. Why? How, how'd we do that? Because uh, our questions of the week. Oh, man, that's... We've only been doing this for 103 episodes, Carl. Professional. Signature. The way that comes in, man. It's very, very nice, Carl. You've done a good job with that. So what did we ask her? (laughs) So we asked Leah. The first question was to tell us a little bit about herself. Hello. um, My name is Leah Lawson. I am a singer-songwriter and independent musician living in Asheville, North Carolina. I've been writing songs since I was 16, which was quite a while ago. Um, And I grew up homeschooled, evangelical, very conservative. So a lot of my writing kind of explores what it's like to leave that behind and change your mind when you came from that environment. So yeah, I cover a lot of themes of like deconstruction and that kind of thing in my music. And I have an album that is coming out this fall that really explores a lot of those topics and my history and just kind of reckoning with uh, what you were taught and what you um, have decided for yourself. So yeah, apart from playing music, I like to hang out with my dog and watch a lot of bad television and I also make a lot of TikToks, unfortunately, for everyone. So when she says, you know, she started writing when she was 16 and that was a long, long time ago. What is she, 50? No. no, no, She's probably 20. No, she's probably like mid to late 20. So I mean, mean, if you think about that, though, when you're 16 and you're getting to the end of your 20s, that is technically a long time ago like i started writing songs when i was 14 that was that, a, that was a long time that ago. was back in the day that wasn't even you know, a long that, time uh, ago uh, 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 uh. <laughs> that, gets its own that, that was a sound. long time ago that was lifetimes ago but like you know i don't know that's funny she said uh evangelical background and Asheville. so i mean because Asheville's full of hippies yeah i mean that's so where sean and i went a, and it's kind of it's a very hippie fun town but definitely not what she was talking about yeah, exactly. So, Maybe you have a new uh, show called no, I, Asheville. <laughs> 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 they could do Woodstock. That would be a fun town. I'll tell you, when I, when I go upstate, I used to go to college up there. When I go to certain towns, like you go to like Sargatees or, or Pine Bush and these places up there, even New Paul's where I went to college, it's a time warp. I get in my car, I get off the thruway at 18, New York State thruway, exit 18, and I'm in New Paltz, and literally there's the head shop, there's the there's the same places. <laughs> I feel like I'm in 73 again. People are dressed the same, I, I, long I, hair. It's a joke. I'd venture to guess, I'd venture to guess that half of the people that listen to this podcast have never heard the term head shop. Carl, you are right, because like getting off at, at Route 18 on Kingston to tool my way up onto Oneonta. And for the four years I went there, nothing changed. And after when we went back a couple of times, I mean, everything is still still the same. same. Even the college kids now that are going to Oneonta, which is my alma mater, I'll ask them, oh, is Nina's Pizza still there? Is Tino's? Oh, is yep. this club? And it's it's all the same. Like, there's no yeah, new the Homestead. Yeah. Homestead. P&Gs. Same places. They're still there. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like... <laughs> These, anyway, All right, so questions. we asked Leah another question, and is it what music artists have inspired your career so far? I've always felt really inspired by um, Justin Vernon from Bon Iver. Um, 
I am a longtime fan. I pretty much would have killed to have written the Forma Forever Ago album. And seeing him perform is pretty much like a religious experience. So I've always looked up to him musically and been really inspired by the songs that he writes and just how different they are. Also, Sufjan Stevens, I love his writing style. I feel like he has a really unique way of like taking something, a line that's really simple and creating like a really intricate song out of it. Um, like he'll just, you know, say like, I think the dress looks nice on you. But then by the end of the song, you'll just be weeping. So I've always been really interested in and impressed by his songwriting. And also Taylor Swift, we're about the same age. So uh, when she was 15, starting her career, I was 15, hoping to be a songwriter. And I just feel like I've watched her grow and change and try on new music styles and that's not something anyone is everyone is comfortable doing so I just think she's always inspirational and also I have to say obviously Dolly Parton I think she's one of the most prolific songwriters out there which is something to aspire to I am not and I'm trying to be so yeah I love you Dolly (laughs) what you said about um Taylor Swift I'll tell you something about her I I do like her as well Um, I don't know a lot of her music but what I dig about it, I was looking through just just just, just for shits and giggles. I was I was just going through Instagram, seeing like um, Katy Perry has like two hundred million followers, right? And Lady Gaga has like you know sixty million followers, and like Kim Kardashian has like three hundred million followers, and like Taylor Swift has like two hundred fifty followers, two hundred fifty million. But what I was seeing is you go to Lady Gaga with her sixty million, she might get. 20,000, 200,000 likes. You go to um, Katy Perry, even though she has 200 million followers, you might see um, maybe 800,000, 900,000 likes of her each post. You go to you go to um, Taylor Swift, she has like 200 million followers. She has like 14 million, 16 million, 13, so much more engagement. She, yeah, out of, yeah, I yeah, think yeah. all of the artists that came up in like the age of Taylor Swift, she has the most loyal and dedicated fan base I think anyone's ever seen. Anyway, that's it. So then we have one more question we for do. This? We have one more question for her, and it's what would you change in the music industry today if you could? I thought we were changing that question. You were supposed to. No, no you uh, were supposed like to. About, the next question will be, did you like the finale of Nashville? Yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> there we go. What are your thoughts on the Nashville TV show? How real is the Nashville TV show? Yeah, right. <laughs> let's, let's listen. No, I like the question. Let's keep it in. Well, let's see what she had to okay. say. Okay. Yeah, I would say women are still very underrepresented in the music industry, not only as artists, but also as producers and engineers and working with labels and in management. So I think that we still have a long way to go to kind of make up the difference. So as a woman, that's something that I love to see in my lifetime uh, change. Yeah, I think I would love if it was the norm for when you're playing on a bill for there to be um, just as many women or non-binary folks as there are men. So that's something. Um, Another thing I would say is like the DIY artist industry is really tricky. I think there isn't enough support. I think it's really difficult to fund all of your own music and, you know, fund the recording of it and the marketing of it and 
um, everything. So when you are an indie artist, it is really difficult and there's not a lot of help available. And then you make just basically nothing from having your music streamed. So yeah, I don't know what that looks like, but I think definitely change in terms of what it's like to be an independent artist and then kind of on a DIY artist lifestyle. Um, I think it could be a lot better and it could be a lot easier. And yeah. Well, for one, um, we have a solution for what she said. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) The first one is, it's funny, almost all the management companies we work with are run by women. Lady Lady Savage. Lady Savage, uh, Publicity Nation. because they like Nicole. Aristo. They've got a lot of different female managers and publicity people. I'm not sure that's so true. I I see more on the producer side. She's right. Yeah. And and the producer side and the engineering side. I definitely can see that. She's also right as far as the artists are concerned. I mean, as you travel around, you know, you don't see a lot of females on a particular bill you just don't leah as a as to your second thought of that diy artist and how like you know we we do you you tell them nicole I'll just, <laughs> yeah, you're better at it we have a solution for that which we don't actively talk about as much as we should which we've been trying to like you know push for two years yeah but, but it hasn't necessarily it's fallen on deaf ears so maybe leah it'll fall on your ears and uh you can spread it around to the indie community in Asheville. but we have 9420 crowdfund and 9420 fan fund which are two music platforms specifically dedicated to indie artists that help them crowdfund money for either their next music project, which is what 9420 Crowdfund is about, or a subscription service, kind of like a Patreon, which is where artists or fans can donate on a monthly basis to help with recurring revenue so artists can have a little bit of an income. It's like OnlyFans for, <laughs> for musicians. Kind, yeah, yeah, I mean... You know, and, and Crowdfund is like Kickstarter for musicians yeah. catering towards indie artists artists musicians and not just you know. I think indie artists have to be uh, just a tad bit accountable these days I mean I think yeah it would be nice to see some changes to the good or for the positive but the reality of it is that since the music business became democratized you know like 10 years ago people's expectations are that they can get hooked up with a couple of digital companies and they can click through and create a menu where their business is going to be taken care of. And that's just not the way the music business has ever worked. The music business works. It's driven based on personalities and people networking with one another. Right. So if you can find people that are willing to go to work, you know, pick up the phone, God forbid, or, you know, help you get a meeting. Or if you can align yourself with people that want to help your career as people, that's more powerful than clicking a box and saying, yes, I'd like for you to represent my sync right. You know, that kind of thing. Which I don't understand is in this day and age of so many different vehicles and avenues for communication, email, text, phone, you know, where everyone has People their phone. don't do it. Why, exactly. why is there less communication, it seems? Absolutely. There is less communication because I think people are scared to be held accountable. I think just because of the day and age, I think there's so much communication that goes on. Oh, it's all self-absorbed. Online. Exactly. It's all self-absorbed because they're online and when they do their social media posts, they control 
what is put out there. They control the image. They control the language. They control the content. But when you're talking with someone and they're telling you things you don't want to hear, you don't have control over that. And I think a lot of people are self-absorbed enough where they don't necessarily want to hear what other people need or want or like their their disappointments in them because they didn't do something they said they were going to do. So they just choose not to answer. What's interesting is back in college, we're in 2022. So this is 15 years ago. I was in a public speaking communications class, like an advanced one, and I needed to do a thesis. And we got to pick whatever we wanted to do, but it needed to match like historical communication versus communication now, which back then... Facebook was just getting started. You're kind of, you're kind of heading into Greg Kit territory right now, but go ahead. I am. Um, <laughs> but like back then, Facebook was getting started. Twitter, I think, wasn't even I'm on there. Instagram, Instagram wasn't even a thought at that point. And I did a thesis on Aristotle's um, two spheres, the public and private sphere of life, and how that resembled back then and what it looked like now. <laughs> Are we mentioning now, now she's solidly in, in my territory. I am. We're talking about, we're talking about okay, Aristotle. I'm just I'm trying to get to a point here. But in my thesis, I was speaking about the fact that these two spheres of life, the public and private sphere with so, with social media and the internet and things like that, the lines are so blurred now that there's almost no difference between that public and private sphere and the things that could happen because of that. And like we were talking about, like people just not being held accountable and not answering because of the fact of that. And I said that we, we needed to do more research on it. But if I was writing it today, I would just say there are no more lines anymore. There's no more public or private spheres. And Aristotle was completely right. They need to be separate for people to be held accountable. In this episode, I we discuss we discuss the ghost thesis on Aristotle. <laughs> no, but it makes sense to me. I mean, probably no, doesn't I make think sense. That, to I think else, she's but. right. Uh, I, I was just reading, or just heard a story. I was just reading on the idea that since COVID, since everybody basically got sent home to work for the last two and a half years, that professionalism has gone out the window. I mean, people don't even know how to be professional anymore. They're sitting in their you know, in their jockey shorts, you know, doing meetings. It bugs me when I get emails that do not, I mean, I make grammatical errors day in and day out. I am just not someone that looks over that. But when I get emails where it's literally just like, with like, no, hi, Nicole, or thanks so much, or things like that, it bugs me because it's just, to me, it's so unprofessional. It's like, thanks so much for wasting my time. People have uh, not... Um, <laughs> In this episode, we, we hear about Nicole's thesis on Aristotle. See, see how it feels, Nicole, to be raked over the coals by I Carl. Don't mind, because it doesn't happen to me every episode. I'm like, happens to me every episode. I gotta do better. Hold on. In this episode, in a world <laughs> where your thesis on Aristotle. I can't do that laughing. Go ahead. I'm done. That's it. Uh, Get us out of here, Nicole. <laughs> Definitely time. All right, everyone. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs> In an episode where Nicole completely goes off the rails. Welcome to 9420. All right, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to what, this. What was, your, what, was, what was your grade on that, on that paper? I got anyway. an A plus, actually. There you go. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> 
All right, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the 9420 podcast. For everything that we spoke about, you can go to our website, which is 9420.com. That is the number is 94 and the letters T-W-E-N-T-Y. Until next time, we'll talk to you later. 